Stuff up Saturday, breaking cycles, we rebels. Stuff up Saturday, uplift with love. Stuff up Saturday, breaking cycles, we rebels. Hey everybody, welcome to Self Love Saturday, where loving ourselves is an act of rebellion. This is your host, Dr. Anissa Shomo, family medicine physician here in Cincinnati, and would like to welcome to the show today, Precious Carter. Hi, Dr. Anissa, how are you? I am doing great today, so I want you to tell everybody about yourself. Thank you for having me. I'm Precious S. Carter. I'm a speaker, teacher, trainer, coach, and serial entrepreneur. Um, and I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. And so I'm really looking forward to our conversation because, um, you know, my business, Health is Love, and the book that I've written and my course, all really just about talking about trauma and coping and mental health, because that's what I do a lot of as a family doctor. Of course, I treat like diabetes, high blood pressure. But the biggest thing that people don't really understand about doing that is it's hard to get people to really be invested in their health physically, like their mental, like their, the, the health of their body, if they're not really working on doing that mind work. Like, so we talk about that mind and body connection because as family mm-hmm. doctors, it's our job really to, to try to do that comprehensive care of working with the mind and body. And we know that like, if your mind isn't in the game, then it's hard for your, for your body to follow. Um, so I just try to really be a big advocate of people trying to work through their trauma, trying to have constructive coping and just having these conversations about how important it is for our survival, especially as black people and black women to really start working on our mental health so that our physical health can improve. Absolutely. Before I went um, into the world of entrepreneurship full time, I I am a nurse by trade and I actually worked um, prior to working as in care management, I worked in a physician practice and they kind of, they work hand in hand because Mm -hmm. the care management side, they work on helping people to do the tasks, to connect their doctors, to connect the diagnosis, to connect the medicine. But I think what a lot of people with, even with chronic illness don't realize is until they deal with what's going on here inside of their mind, they're not even connecting um, the dots on what they need to do physically for their health. You have diabetics who refuse to check their blood pressure, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, their blood sugar, um, who just randomly pull out their pens and inject themselves with a random amount without knowing what is the right amount of insulin to take based off of where they are right now. So Mm -hmm. I I think it's so important that you deal with what's in your mind so that you can um, focus on the tasks needed to properly care for yourself physically, especially if you have a chronic illness. Right. It's just in general, I mean, to avoid them. I mean, I do a lot of it because I have a lot of, I have a lot of mental health, um, you know, anxiety, depression in my family, addiction. And then I also mm-hmm. have a lot of depression. I mean, um, diabetes, high blood pressure, um, heart disease, all types of, you know, physical manifestations. So I, I try to do the work up front because I think that's, I think that's one of the biggest things that, that our parents really didn't get an opportunity to do. They didn't really get to see the effects of a lot of that. Like, you know, they're kind of one of the first generations is really growing old. And so as we've gotten to see them grow old, we've got an opportunity to say, oh, I would do that differently. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I would take, I would try to avoid getting diabetes. I will try to get, avoid getting high blood pressure. And if I do get it, I will try to be better at taking my medicine so that I don't, cause my dad has had like his toe, he had a toe amputated. Um, he's, he's just had a lot of health problems. And for me, it's kind of like a trauma response, you know, to, yeah. to, to see the effects of how, you know, not, not, 
constructively coping has affected um, my parents um, and their aging process because I specialize in taking care of older adults. And so for me, I've gotten to see like people who do it well and people who don't. And so, you know, you want to manage your chronic illness well um, by doing what, you know, the things you're supposed to do as far as that mind and body connection, taking care of your mind and your body. But you also want to do it in order to prevent those problems too. So. Right. And it's so good that we have the opportunity to to have the education that sometimes our parents didn't. I mean, they right. learned so many bad habits, like the cooking the things that they cooked, eating what they ate, living these sedentary lifestyles, just because like they just didn't have the information yeah. available for the most part. I mean, some right. did, but yeah. Yeah, but it's still a culture. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's still a whole mm-hmm. culture because I talk often about just in the Midwest and the South, like people, you can have the information, but if you weren't raised doing X, Y, Z, then mm-hmm. it's still really hard, even with the information. And that's what's, that's, what's kind of interesting about my story is that my parents converted to Islam. So oh, really? in the seventies, when everybody was converted to Islam, my parents, you know, my parents converted. And um, so it's kind of interesting in some religions, you know, the things that are kind of built into the religion to help you um, take care of your body better. So like, mm-hmm. you know, as Muslims, you're supposed to pray five times a day, which basically is like meditation, like five mm-hmm. times a day, meditate and move your body. Like it's kind of like yoga, the movements that they do, and um, mm-hmm. uh, Muslim prayer. So it's just, you know, so I grew up kind of in a Southern culture of like my parents, you know, my dad is from Cleveland, my mom is from Chicago and my um, grandparents are both, you know, like my both sets of grandparents are from the South. Um, and so you have like the Southern culture that you're raised in, but also this Middle Eastern culture that I was raised in, you know? So it's just like, I have this completely different juxtaposition of, of that. And so that's actually how I learned to be different because I was raised in a mosque, you know what I mean? So my mm-hmm. parents were raised in a church and they had a lot of that culture that they were raised with. And it's hard to break those habits, but they exposed us to a different way of coping, of constructive coping, like praying five times a day, uh, moving, you know, doing the movements, um, mm-hmm. reading the Quran, trying not to eat pork, you know, like I, I still don't eat pork, you know? So it's just one of those things that uh, I understand like how important it is to be raised in a culture that, and, and of course, fasting, fasting is a big part of um, yes. Islam and the Ramadan. And so it's just, you know, I just, and, and charity is a big part Um, Islam as well in service so you know I was raised my parents you know had enough insight to know that they wanted something different for their children Um, and I would say most of the most of my siblings like none of us have a lot of health problems because we were raised in a different culture than them that's awesome and that is so it's 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 funny that you hear that, right? Because you, when you think about like the different religions and the different ways that we all grow up, yeah. most religions that, you know, I've read about, they do give you very specific things to do. And we look at them as like touch, not taste, not whatnot, but really they're like a prescription for life. Right. Don't eat pork. Don't eat that, uh, the fish with the shell on it, that skin right. that goes through the, it doesn't allow things to breathe and sweat and get rid of toxins. It's like pray fast, meditate, like, but we don't, you know, a lot of times people say that they are of a certain religion, whatever it is, but they don't know any of the disciplines of it and they don't practice them. So they don't reap the benefits. Right. Exactly. So, so it is kind of interesting because, you know, your parents want better for you, but they don't always know what that better means, but they know they want better, you know? (laughs) So I'm happy that they at least 
try to sh- expose us to something different because mm-hmm. I will definitely say that we have we have reaped the benefits of it, but it's still hard living in the Midwest where nobody else does that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of, um, like, there's a lot of people that practice, like, uh, Muslim or Islam correctly, but there are some that just don't. And I think, like you said, it's the culture. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like that with anything. We're all human. And that's what is interesting to me about religion, too, is like, you know, like you said, like they have all of these rules that you're supposed to do and they tell you how to how to live better, how to live longer. But as humans, it's just we're flawed and it's hard to do all of those things that religion um, tries to teach us. And of course, there are things about religion they're they're, they can be very old and they not always they're not always as open to modern society like I didn't really like the way that Islam treated women you know I was just like Uh um (laughs) I'm just like oh (laughs) I don't like this like I knew as a teenager I was like "Mm, you know so obviously everybody's religion you could say a lot of things about but it's just it's just one of those things that a lot of them were created in a time that it's hard to really translate a lot of that stuff into modern times. So, but I, so, you know, you try to, you try to take the, the, the lessons you learn with the things that you're, that you kind of left, like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to do a lot of that things, but, um, but yeah, I do. It is, but like I said, it's more, it was for me, it was just more about the exposure to just different things in that. So, so speaking of exposure, um, you know, and just the premise of mental health and mind and body connection and talking about trauma and healing. Um, I want to just move more into um, um, just some of the some of the things that I've been through in my life and and some of the things that you've been through in your life and um, how you were able to, you know, get through them. And for me, like I said, that exposure to Islam really helped me like learn a lot about taking care of my body. Um, but part of it is there is a lot of service and a lot of religions have a service component to them. And so I was exposed to service at a young age. Um, and that's, you know, that's something I want to talk with you today, because I know that's something that, that you've also used to cope with the traumas in your life. So I just want to tell a quick story about, I talk a lot about, you know, one of the main traumas in my life as a young person that really um, had an impact on which path I was going to go on because I don't talk about it a lot, but my, I have five older sisters and my two older sisters, um, you know, they're the, they're the oldest and they had to take care of us. So they've always been really mature and they've always just, you know, tried to do the best they could. And they mostly stayed out of trouble, but my sisters who are a little bit younger than them in between, um, they got into a lot of trouble and they went to jail Mm -hmm often um and or just you know just got into different situations and so for me as a young when my parents were getting divorced I kind of had like two different ways I could have gone I could have been the one that could have been going to jail or get pregnant um or I could have been the one that was trying to do constructive things with my life um and so as a teenager I had to kind of you know look at my five older sisters and see which path I was going to go down and um I remember when I was, I was going down the wrong path. I was on a path to drop out of middle school. Like I was on the wrong path, mostly because I was depressed. And back then it wasn't a big thing that people talked about. And it it wasn't like, and it it wasn't something that people talked about. And it wasn't something that people even recognized because my, my teacher should have recognized it. You know, even if my people at home didn't recognize it, but it wasn't a conversation at school. It wasn't a conversation. It was on the news all the time. Like it is now. 
Uh, it just wasn't really a conversation. So I was depressed in middle school and I wasn't going to school and I was on the path to dropping out of, out of middle school. And that's the, so my older sisters, they, my two older sisters graduated, but my sisters in between that those two and myself, they did not graduate. They dropped out of high school. Um, and you know, just was just, they were just trying to figure out life, but it was just, it was just hard. Like having a lot of kids, cause that's part of being a Muslim is they don't be, believe in birth control. So there's nine of us. Um, and actually my parents wanted to have that amount of kids. So it's not like, it's not like because they didn't believe in birth control. It was actually that they wanted to have a big family. I guess my dad had always wanted to have a big family. My mom was from a big family. So, mm-hmm. so it was just, they wanted to have all of us. And in theory, it sounded great, but in reality, it was too much, you know? And mm-hmm. of course, like just, it wouldn't have been as bad if you had like kids who listened to you, but mm-hmm. a lot of my older sisters didn't really listen to my parents and they would, and they would fight and all types of stuff. And like I said, and they, and they went to jail and they did all the stuff they weren't supposed to do. And so for me as a teenager, I'm watching all of this, you know, <laughs> just like my parents are trying to like pay the bills. They, my, they had a bakery. My parents owned a bakery. So I'm watching my parents try to go to work, trying to support us financially. I'm watching my sisters, you know, be bad and basically be in the culture. That's what everybody was doing. It was just a, the nineties were a wild time, you know? Yes, so, they were. <laughs> yeah. so, so, you know, like I'm a teenager watching all of this, but I, like I said, but I also saw my older sisters you know, getting done with school. Um, One of my sisters is a nurse. And so she was um, going to nursing school and they were starting to have kids too in their twenties and raising their kids. So, you know, I, at a young age, I saw two completely different examples of how to cope with, you know, of things and how your life can go. And, you know, like I said, I was just kind of stuck in this depressed place. Um, And I was kind of on the path of my other, um, like my younger older sisters to drop out of middle school, even like not even make it to high school, you know? Um, And it's not something I really talk about a lot because it's, it's, it seems like a whole other life. And one of the things I really wish was that it would have been a conversation that somebody could have had with me like, Hey, you might be depressed and maybe we should get you some therapy. Maybe we should, you know, do this sort of thing. But in that moment, I did have a teacher who knew I was smart because I've always been smart my whole life. Um, And they like pulled me to the side and said, Hey, you know, I don't remember exactly what they said, but for um, whatever they said, they convinced me to go and try to volunteer with teaching the younger kids. So I'm like, I think I was in seventh or eighth grade. And they were Mm -hmm. like, you're really smart. You should go and teach, I think maybe third or fourth grade. Mm -hmm. So they had me go and teach them about like, uh, I distinctly remember this. Like it's a it's a very distinct memory that I have of um, teaching them about like math, about like um, about um, money math, like teaching them about like mm-hmm. coins and dollars and that sort of thing. And so um, so there was that time when they intervened. But I also I, I started in service when from a young age because my my mother used to take us to volunteer and like and help people who are hungry, even though we were hungry too. But <laughs> <laughs> but, but she was she had a um she had uh, a man and it's actually kind of a, that's kind of a sad story um but you know I'll talk about that in a second but you know there were just different times in my life when things weren't going well where I had kind of like to make a choice like which path I was going down and then there were people around me who were just kind of like hey you know service can be a way for you to get back on track or maybe you should you know think about taking care of these younger kids and using your smarts for good and not evil, you know, (laughs) like, so, because, 
Yeah. I was just ha- grateful that somebody could pull me to the side and show me that service, you know, in that moment, because I, like I said, I grew up in service. My parent, my mom always had us involved in service, um, but using as it a way to cope, I had never really done, you know? Mm-hmm. I feel like for me, like there, there are a lot of similarities and like how we got into service. Number one, like I'm a Christian. So we uh, we served all the time, whether we served on the usher board or whether we went to down the children's church to teach the children. Mm-hmm. But I think um, for me, like that was a coping mechanism that could have been both negative and positive, because as you know, like I didn't grow up with my mom. My mom was in prison for most of my life. Um, and so I suffered from a lot of rejection and abandonment. Mm-hmm. And so as a result of that, I think when I was younger, I didn't understand what I was doing. But now that I'm older, I do know that I did a lot to please people. Um, And so I put myself in a lot of positions and situations where I'm helping people. But my motive was not pure. Um, The motive was really like, like me, like me, love me, pay attention to me. Instead of really, how can I serve you? How can I help you? How can I make things better for you? And um, what ended up happening is I completely lost myself in trying to please other people. And I was basically diminishing every part of who I was. So that's kind of like the negative spin on service because it, your mo- I always say this regarding anything, your motives matter. Right. So while it, at that moment in my life, I didn't understand that I was doing something negative. As I grew older, I learned to understand the negative implications for what I was doing. And I am still very much a servant at heart but I am more true to myself and true to what my true gifts are, what my true passions are, what my true callings are. And my motive is actually to be of service, not trying to serve myself through doing something for you. You know what I mean? And there's a big difference. Um, So now I do a lot, like my favorite, I'm very blessed and very fortunate to have been like once homeless, a young girl living on the street, sleeping on bus benches to now, um, what I said to a young group of ladies that I talked to the other day is like, Hey, I want to give you some advice that you don't even know that you need yet. You know what I mean? Like, I want to stop you from going down this way that you could possibly go because I did it and it was no good. And so I'm very thankful for the path that I took. I'm, I'm thankful for my journey. I don't regret a single moment of it because it really has given me everything that I need to be who I needed. And unfortunately in our society, there are many, many young women, young girls who experience a lot of trauma, whether it's, you know, sexual trauma, whether it's just trauma from childhood, because our parents, they can't do everything right. Because as you said earlier, they're human, we're all human. And so teaching them how to even cope when you're dealing with um, parents that are kind of unstable, Um, teaching them to cope when they are in environments that are full of neglect and trauma and abuse. And I'm so thankful that like my education didn't come from a book in terms of that. My education came from my journey in life. And so I'm thankful for it. Um, I used to be extremely angry and hurt by it, but now I'm honestly thankful because I can meet people where they are. And there is no reason for me to, to have to hide anything or be ashamed because the story um, that I have is a story that is one that can help blaze the trail for other people. So it's really a blessing. And and that's the same thing I feel like. I feel like, you know, it sucked going through, it, you know, it was, it was not fun going through all of that sort of thing of, you know, feeling depressed, feeling, you know, like hopeless. I felt, I was even suicidal during that mm-hmm. time, you know? So it was not a good experience, of course, but I now it's made me a lot better doctor. Um, because I'm able to relate to my patients and even talk to them about like suicidal thoughts and talk to them about getting help. And so that's the whole thing. Like you never know, like, 
you never know why you go through a lot of that stuff. Um, and obviously, you know, we, I would love for people to not have to go through it, but if you do have to go through it, for me, service has been a way to use that story and turn it into my purpose, um, to make, to, to be able to relate to people in that way and be able to have empathy in that way, um, to be able to use it because it is very powerful. It is very powerful to be able to use and, and to make it, Cause for me, like, I remember, especially when I first started doctoring, I did have a lot of shame about a lot of stuff, but the more I realized that that shame is actually where my power comes from, you know, mm-hmm. instead of being ashamed of any part of my story to know that that is what makes me a better doctor, because I can understand mm-hmm. and I can talk to my patients, especially like I used to work in school health. So talking to the teenagers about all types of stuff that they were going through that I knew that they were going through. Um, and even now I don't see as, as many teens now working in my current office because it's pretty close to children's hospital (laughs) so so I don't get a whole lot of teenagers but um but even anytime I get a chance to talk to teenagers and even just like a lot of my students right now I do a lot of work with my students and just being able to work with a lot of that like those boundaries with them because a lot of doctors a lot of nurses are really trying to overcompensate for a lot of trauma that they've been through and, and and trying to prove their worth and for me it's not necessarily that that um I, I feel like I have at times like you know crave that external validation of that people pleasing as well but I don't think that wasn't what really drove me in the first place like for me it was really that I wanted to I wanted to be helpful I wanted to be of service and that's just like how um uh, and it you know like it didn't really start out as coping like I, I cope that's how uh, that was how I was introduced services coping but in high school like later in high school when I was doing service and when I was in college doing service, I didn't really fall into the trap of people pleasing through service as much. I didn't really fall into the trap of people pleasing that much in general. Um, It wasn't really until I got into being an attending that I started to feel like I might have to prove myself. And because part of it is being like in academia, you do kind of have to prove yourself, you know, like you have to like build your CV and you have to do this and you have to do that. And so I think that that was kind of when I fell more into the into the trap of service as people pleasing and being kind of everywhere and running yourself ragged. That's what I did like early on in my career. I just ran myself ragged. And mm-hmm. for me, the second big trauma in my life was being diagnosed with cancer, you know, mm-hmm. and so looking back, so the last the last episode of my podcast, I talked about, you know, the fact that I've been on hormones, different parts of my life, uh, being on birth control and looking back on it, the time when I was early in my career and when I was in residency, I was on progesterone. And I think that that was kind of maybe a thing that kind of drove me to feel a lot, maybe more insecure um, and maybe feel like I need to do more people pleasing at that moment. And so it's just this kind of like conversation that I feel like a lot of people don't have about like how hormones can affect us because menopause, people can go through different things. Like we talk about midlife crisis, but a lot of that is driven by hormones. So mm-hmm. when I was um, when I was early in my career, I felt a lot of drive to go and do all of these things. And I mean, I felt like hypomanic is what it felt like. You know what I mean? Like it felt like a lot of emotions about like not feeling good enough, but also just a lot of energy to do all, like, I have no idea how I have the amount of energy to do all that stuff. And now mm-hmm. looking back on it, now that I'm off of it, I'm like, progesterone. <laughs> that's I did all that. Good. And that's how that's I, that's how I felt that way. <laughs> so, that's 
but and it's, it's it's interesting that you have like now, like, you know, the knowledge and the ability, because so many times like people sometimes will never even make that connection on this is what caused that. Okay. Cause I was wondering, some people are like, I don't know what I was going through. And it's just, that's just that. And then the next thing you know, um, they won't, they won't be able to connect the dots when they're actually going through it. You know what I mean? Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So I, I just didn't want to talk about it more because it's something that I've realized in this cancer journey, because I came off of, uh, I had an IUD, so I, I got it taken out at the same time that I was diagnosed with cancer. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I've, when I, when it was removed and I started being like, I feel different. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, maybe it's because of this trauma of going through cancer. But then I was like, well, it's probably because I'm not on those hormones anymore. So, I, you know, I went, I started doing different hormones and, you know, so it's just one of those things like for me as a doctor and just somebody who talks about this kind of thing, like all day, you know, often I will say all day, every day, but just a lot. I talk about hormones a lot, talk about depression a lot, mental health, all types of stuff a lot. Um, you know, I'm like, we just need to have more conversations about uh, just about it being able to recognize that. And just about like, cause, cause even now people will probably be like, well, you don't do all the stuff you used to do. And like, people have told me I've gained weight. They're like, oh, you've gained weight. And you're just like, well, I'm not hypomanic anymore. And I don't wake up at five in the morning and work out anymore. And I don't do 20 million things running myself ragged anymore. You know, right. <laughs> I can sleep, you know, <laughs> I have peace now. Like, yay. <laughs> So it's just interesting how people, you know, it's, it's something like, you know, sometimes it's people pleasing, but sometimes it's just like this internal thing that, that you can feel. Um, but whatever it was for me, I'm just, I feel definitely better now that I can focus. Cause I just felt like I was all over the place doing a million mm-hmm. things, trying to serve here, trying to serve there. Um, and I just remember like I, I worked with a life coach around that time. Um, I'm trying to think when I work with a life coach, I feel like I work with a life coach around the time that, um, that all of this was kind of ending, like after I had run myself ragged and after I had had cancer and after I lost the hormones and it was actually really helpful for me to like, to work with her. Like, cause I was trying to figure out like, okay, so I've been doing a million things and I've been on these hormones. Like I, like I said, I didn't realize I've been on those hormones. I, I had, a, I remember immediately after coming off the hormones that I felt different but I wasn't, I didn't have that insight. This is like five years ago or something. So I didn't have an insight at that moment to think about all the ways that I was different. So it's taken mm-hmm. me a long time to really like process all the ways that I've been different over, over the past, you know, few years. Um, but I remember meeting with the life coach and just trying to figure out, like, when you go, <laughs> when you go through something like that, it's super intense, like working out all the time, being everywhere, serving everybody, doing all this people pleasing and just external validation. Um, just trying to reestablish, well, like, who are you? I think that for me working with a life coach, even though mm-hmm. I was starting to feel more like myself, you still are like, who, but who am I? You know who I mean? is myself? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah absolutely. So it was kind of one of those things like we did an exercise and going through like your values and like really thinking about like, what are your primary values? And um, just trying to reestablish a baseline of like, what are the things that you really enjoy? Uh, and that's what actually when I started reading and writing more because I just felt I just have more energy to be still, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. get still and get focused. That's so important. I was, um, I was, I was working with some young ladies the other day and I was thinking to myself, like, cause you know, I'm, I, most of my clients are women that are my age or older. Mm -hmm. And, um, what I found out, like, I thought I was starting off like 
counseling and coaching people with depression and anxiety, but what it turned into is everybody wanted, they had something that they wanted that they were afraid to go after. Mm -hmm. And so um, in dealing with that, I'm like, all right, well, let's just figure out what it is that you want. And I get super intense with women about what is the vision for your life. And so as my partner and I have started like going out to speak to um, like the youth, I said to him the other day, like, uh, how about we just, the stuff that we're doing for adults, let's do it for the kids. Like, Mm -hmm. let's get them clear on the vision that they have for their life, what it is that they want. Let's now start to dispel and break down every myth that they thought that whatever it is that they want is too hard to get. It's unachievable. You have to follow this path. Like, no, let's empower them now. So they're not 30 trying to figure out who they are. You know what I mean? Right. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's the whole thing, too, though. Like, it's OK to be 30 and figure out who you are and like have a and have a midlife crisis because our lives change. So for me, mm-hmm. I wanted to be a doctor at a young age and I wouldn't did that. And that's kind of for me what was hard. It was like, OK, so I've done all, I've done what I want to do now. Now, what do you do with that? Like this, the possibilities are endless. So you still have to ask yourself, like, what? OK, what next or what am I going to do with this um, thing that I wanted? Um, and that's why I like one of my favorite books that I read around that time was um, Michelle Obama when she wrote Becoming because she's just like, we're always changing. Always. And so the thing is, you want to be 30 years old with enough money and resources to be able to like say, OK, well, I had that dream. I accomplished that. Now I have the money to work on the next dream, you know? Mm-hmm. But getting true to your core is the important thing, like um, getting true to who you are, what's important to you and not necessarily everything that you want to do, but how you want to live. Right. Uh, the, the life that you want to live. How how is how do you want your mental state to be? How do you want your interactions with people? Right. To be? You know, because um, that gives you more freedom to know what you don't want. Right. And I think sometimes <laughs> we don't know what we don't want because we never even took the time to, to actually assess what we do want. Right. No matter how we get there, um, a lot of times, like we we want things that we're afraid to even say that we want because we don't think that they're possible because we've right. seen so many limits around us. Yeah, no, that is true, and that's one of the biggest things that I love about my parents. My parents are dreamers, and my parents are artists, and they they decided they were going to open a bakery in the '90s, and they went and did it. So for me, at a young age, I saw what it was like to dream and to and to and to accomplish your dreams. Yeah. So that's part of why for me, um, that's why I've been very confident as a young person of seeing that happen. And I know a lot of young people don't get to see that. And I'm very grateful that I got to see something like that at a young age. Um, But at the same time, it's just still one of those things of like, (laughs) it's still one of those things of like, we're always changing and our dreams will forever be. Because my problem is I sometimes feel like people feel guilty when they get to a certain place. Like they're like, I asked for this place. I prayed to be here. um, And now I'm here. And now I'm kind of bored and I kind of want to do something different. Mm -hmm. And so it's one of those things like sometimes you're just grateful. So, cause this is one of the things I talk with my friends a lot about. If you can do something like what I do, like I get to serve people I get to be able to make a living off of just talking to people and speaking life to them, but that's not going to be everybody. Not everybody's going to ha- have that opportunity. So I feel very grateful to do that. But at the same time, you can't let your gratitude for that or whatever that dream is that you had 
like become a ball and chain, you know, right, <laughs> like a barrier. Yeah, like yeah. yeah, yeah. Because I I see that so much with um, there's two sides of it. There's people who are like, but I want to be doing a job that can be more meaningful. And it's like you could always volunteer and do other stuff outside of your work. That that, work right? Yeah, that could be more meaningful. And then on the flip side, you don't want to say, well, I'm getting to do the things that I am doing that are that are meaningful. But sometimes our jobs can be abusive to us and you Mm -hmm. tolerate a lot of things that you shouldn't tolerate um, Mm -hmm. because you're being able to do this job that you love. And so it's just like we have to set a lot of boundaries. We have to manage expectations um, as adults. And so that's what I'm saying. It's hard. It's hard with kids because, like, you can have this vision for your life. And that's great. And you want to dream and you want to get there, but you're free to change your mind anytime. You know, you are. not everything. You go ahead. I was going to say, I just think it's important. Like what we talked a lot about was character mm-hmm. and knowing like, you know, what you stand for, because the more that you can um, align with what it is that you believe, what it is that you stand for, what it is that you allow and won't tolerate, um, it's easier to go through life because you're not guessing you're pretty clear on, okay, no, this doesn't feel comfortable for me. Instead of thinking because someone who you love or trusted or who you want to love you did it, that you got to accept it, you don't. And I think if we can get clear on that, it's easier for us to make a decision when it's put in front of us, or it's easier for us to um, accept or decline the opportunity when it's presented to us, because we know what it is that will align with what it is that, that we want from ourselves and for ourselves. Right. Yeah, like if you, because that's the biggest thing for me, like in my relationship and in my job, you know, like when I worked with a life coach, we talked about just different things like that. Like um, one of the biggest things that I value is creativity. So for me, my job being a doctor, it's a little bit of creativity in there, but it's not very creative. And so I, that's why I like doing my business because it allows me some piece of creativity. And so you know, some people will be like, well, I'm going to quit my job and go do something where I could be more creative. And eventually I might, you know, <laughs> but uh-huh. in the meantime, you know, you try to, you try to feed those pieces of yourself. Um, and that's why it's important to, to, you know, like what you're saying is to understand yourself, because that was one of the big things that I've never been, I was never able to really put um, that a name onto that until I really did that exercise with a life coach of like, uh, I think she had me do like some kind of test. And she talked about like how, like, I, like I have to be creative. Like if I'm not being creative, then I'm not going to feel happy. And that's kind of what my husband's dealing with right now. Like he's going to work every day. He's doing his job, but he's not feeding his creative side as much as he would like to. Um, so it is nice to know some of the things that drive you and some of the values that you have. And then some of the things you don't want, because for me, like, you know, I looked at what my parents did. My parents had a business and they worked 20 hours a day. And I know mm-hmm. that what I don't want is to have my, like, it would be great to have your own business, but I'm not going to have the type of business where I'm going to work 20 hours a day, you know, <laughs> so, <Period>. <laughs> because I know that's why they started having health problems. They started having marriage problems and all that sort of thing. Um, they were already having, they've been having marriage problems forever, but you know what I mean? Like it exacerbated their marriage problems. So, you know, it is good to look at some of those things, like some of those traumas and be like, I don't want that kind of problem. Right. Um, I don't want to have no boundaries with work life because um, that was what was, that's pretty much what we had is growing up with your own business like it's you have to establish boundaries but with having a bakery is just really hard because just the hours are crazy um, mm-hmm. 
So, you know, of course you can do it right if you have shifts and different things like that, but it is important for young people to think about like piece by piece, like what don't, what don't you want? And so I knew that I knew that I didn't want, I didn't want a marriage like my parents, um, just as far as just the way they communicated and just all types of stuff that went on. I knew that I didn't want a job that was going to be 20 hours of the day. I knew that I didn't want, um, you know, there was just a lot of things that I knew that I didn't want. So that, that did actually, that is what drove me to become a physician because I'm like, I know I can work hard like my parents did, but I know I don't need to work 20 hours a day, you know? <laughs> and I know that, I know that, um, you know, so that is, it is really good to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was like, one day like, wait, can we, can we kind of help these people not go through exactly what we're going through today? Right. When they get up age, like, how can we help? let's let's go let's do that so yeah I'm excited to do that yeah yeah but it's just one of those things I think that what's hard about being a young person is that you can't you number one like it's just part of like adolescent development um it's just not everybody can really receive what you're saying a lot of them can get it but a lot of times it's just one of those things. They, a lot of them have to make those mistakes. So you try to do everything you can to like prevent young people from making the mistakes that you did, but a lot of them still will. You know? <laughs> yeah. Some mistakes are necessary, you know, yeah. because it helps them to develop. It helps them to learn to make choices. It helps them, you know, right. just to learn how to process through things. So yeah, it's, it's yeah. necessary sometimes. Yeah. But yeah, it is, it is good to give them, it is, the best, the most thing, the biggest thing you can do though, is just let them know they have the power to make their lives different. And that's what, that's what you did. You made your life different than your parents. And I've done the same thing, making my life different than my parents. And that's what they really just have to know. Like, and if you fall down, you can get up. Get up. Amen. Yeah. Cause that's, that's the biggest thing for me in my life. Every time I've fallen down, I've just regrouped and re-strategized. And that's one of the biggest things I talk about in my course is like, we all get in that stuck place. And it can be a time if, you know, if you're just feeling stuck and you don't know where to go, it can be a time to ask for help and get some coaching. But if you are, um, sometimes you're just re-strategizing and that's okay. It's okay to be in a place where, you know, you know, you want to be somewhere else, but sometimes you need a moment to re-strategize and refocus and just, it just, uh, exist, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's okay to just exist sometimes, just figure it out and relax. There's no pressure to do anything all the time. Like sometimes like rest, that's, that's a part of self-care, getting yeah. rest and recharging and just figuring it out. Right. And I think that's what can be hard about service too, is that sometimes like when you get into that place of like people pleasing, you can, you can neglect rest because, and because it can be like an addiction to feeling needed. Like yep. people need me, people need me, people need me. You what know, they do without me. Fine, <laughs> they'll be fine. They'll Absolutely. figure it out. So it's like the idea of codependency, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's why, for a lot of people, they can have a really hard time setting boundaries because they like feeling needed, you know. Yeah don't know how to exist without it and they they find their worth I'm, I'm saying they because I was like this right yeah, so I know same. yeah but like you, you find your worth in and what it is that you do for mm-hmm. others and how it is that you make others feel and so it makes you feel a certain way so I definitely can relate to that and um uh, thank god for deliverance because it was exhausting yeah it was for exhausting. sure 
Yeah, and that's and that's and that's when you know that you need to make a change when you just feeling like you're running yourself ragged and you're mm-hmm. not resting and you're tired all the time. It's like it's time to it's time to let that that feeling of that external validation from your work and your purpose to to put it down. You know, I say I, I say like retire my cape, like because I because I was that way. Like I, when I was running ragged, I call myself Doctor Do a lot, um, and some people still call me that. But I'm like I retire my cape. What? Yeah. <laughs> no. it's hanging up. What I need to do, like yeah. <laughs> so you know, you just try to like, you really try to just you know. Obviously, you still want to serve, and but you try to figure out like how you serve in a way that you're not doing a disservice to yourself. You know, right, right. Yep. Yeah, I think you know that goes back to just the why. Like, why are you doing it? Your motives matter, and um. Because then you can, you, you have a, because you know, when you, when you have a reason, the right reason for doing something, there is a point that you see that need, you fill that gap and then you move on Right. versus trying to always find, what can I do next? What can I do next? How can I make it better for you? So you like me more or whatever right. your motive is. So, yeah. Yeah. Just seeking that external validation and people, and that's the thing that's about just about life in general, people seek external validation because you want to be seen, you want to be visible and you want your existence in this earth to be validated, mm-hmm. but you have to learn how to validate yourself. You know, mm-hmm. like, uh, people there's, cause some people may, may seek external validation. So I, I talked about this. This is uh, another episode I call, called the happiness journey and how people define happiness differently. So some people may define happiness in their work and in their purpose, but some people may define it more like in their kind of car that they drive or mm-hmm. the kind of house that they have and all that sort of thing. And, and that's fine. We all we all are entitled to that, but you just have to make sure that you're not falling into the trap of you're living more for other people and whatever that happiness that is supposed to be coming from that than you are for yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, I think that that's a good place to to leave this conversation. What's um, good? Thanks yes. for that. Thank you for being here. And so we want to wish everyone a great self-love Saturday. And we want you to always remember that loving yourself is an act of rebellion. Self-love Saturday, help live with love. Self-love Saturday, breaking cycles, we rebels. Self-love Saturday, help live with love. Self-love Saturday, breaking cycles, we rebels.